I'm delighted to be with you all this morning, and I want to thank Reverend Whitney for asking me to be here and extending the invitation, and for my friend Matt Ferguson, who's the senior warden at St. Andrew's Episcopal in Stamford, for helping me to make this journey up to uh, to be with all of you this morning. I was here last night to offer yoga mass, and it was such so much fun to be with your community. And I just want to say that I am... Um, I'm from Texas. I grew up in South Texas, and I live in Houston, so you might hear a little bit of that y'all come out, <laughs> and that's just part of how I talk, so um, just know that I'm happy to be here, and, and I'm going to just be myself. So I was here um, this week specifically to attend the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. And this is an annual gathering. This was the 63rd gathering of the UNCSW. It happens around the world. This year it was in New York City at the United Nations. And it was an incredible thing to stand inside the United Nations building and look out toward the beautiful skyline of Manhattan and to see in front of that skyline a row of 193 flags representing all of the countries that are member nations of the United Nations, 193 countries. And these member nations, these member states, come together to work on global issues, including the sustainable development goals. While I was there, the Security Council was meeting. And what the Security Council was doing, they were having daily meetings that have been happening for quite some time, working specifically on the North Korea crisis. And it was really an amazing experience to know that leaders from around the world were gathering specifically to work on a world peace solution. And that's what's happening inside the walls of the UN, 193 countries. It, it was really an incredible honor to be just in the midst of that. And what was happening with the UNCSW, the Commission on Status of Women, is that people, women and men from around the world who are working on gender equality and who are working on empowering women through infrastructure so that women can live a quality life. Um, there were people from all around the world. They were expecting 12,000 people to attend the meeting. There weren't exactly 12,000. We got notice that that some of the women who were planning to attend actually were not able to get their visas processed through the government to, to come into the country for the meeting. And what's remarkable about that is that in the 1940s, there was a law passed that anytime people are traveling to the UN, they have to get visas approved. But in this case, the visas were not approved, and so they were not all able to be there. So they asked us all to sign a petition to have our voices heard, that we want the law to actually be upheld for people to attend this very important meeting. And why is this meeting important? It's important because it's working on the human rights. It's working on uh, rights for women and girls all over the world just to be able to have the basics, the very basics like education and food food and water and, and infrastructure that helps them socially advance. And I was there as um, 
to offer yoga mass as a parallel event that happens as on the side of the business meetings. Um, but I do want to just stress that the um, Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church were also present there as representation from our church to work on these issues for women and girls around the world. And we've been attending for over a decade. I want to say that here for this particular meeting, the Anglican Communion sent eight delegates and they were from these areas around the world New Zealand and Polynesia Burundi and Japan and the Scottish Episcopal Church South Africa West Africa Melanesia and then a representative from the Episcopal Church and then within the Episcopal Church we had representation coming from various dioceses and these specific representatives are people who are bringing forward what's been established at general convention to allow for movement toward equality uh, gender equality for women and these representatives are specifically appointed by our presiding bishop Michael Curry and these representatives came from the Diocese of Connecticut and New York, Delaware, Southwest Florida, South Dakota, Dallas, El Camino Real, Colombia, and the Convocation of Episcopal Churches in Europe, which the representative was from London, and she went home um, on Friday. But she was here as well. So we had this gathering of the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion from around the world, bringing the voice of the church into the business meetings happening that are specifically focused on setting policy. Right, of looking at the issues, and there are so many issues, and there are so many levels of complexity to deal with these systemic issues. It's really not a quick fix. There is no fast solution. But the beautiful thing to me was to witness that the church is part of the conversation. The church is there, and not just our church, the Methodist church, the Presbyterian church, the other churches, the Lutherans. The, the churches are present there because it's important that our voices be a part of the large your goal which is to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth and why is it important to empower women to empower the girls of the future why is that important why have we the church made that such an important statement for us and I think your window up here your stained glass window really says a lot um, we see Jesus with the women and the children having compassion on the children and just showing this incredible love to the future, but also to the women who were there supporting them. And we look at the statistics. One of the statistics they gave us is that 2.1 billion people around the world do not have access to clean water. So I'm going to say that number again. 2.1 billion people have dirty water, water with parasites and in the countries where this this calamity exists it is the women and the girls that spend their days walking down the dirt road for 10 miles to go get clean water to then take back to the families the families need the clean water to survive if they don't have it they will die of malaria or some other disease and it is the women and the girls, because the husbands and the boys, they go to work to try to find work to make money during the day. But it's the women and the girls that walk 10 miles to sustain the family.
So what does that really mean? That means that the children, the girls, are not getting an education. And without an education, they will never be able to get out of the systemic poverty that they're living. It's really important to focus on all of the ways that we can support them. And I was amazed at the the quality of people that were attending the meeting. We had a, a female who is the, her name is Mary Robinson, the president of Ireland was there. And I heard women from around the world talking about what's happening in their countries to help with education, to help with clean water, to help with living wages, to help build sustainable communities and allow these young girls and women to be able to advance in some way. So there's a lot of work being done. The Episcopal Church in, in our general convention, we also, um, this year, we pa- last year, we passed that um, we wanted gender equality, we wanted education, we wanted practices that eradicate violence against women. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And there were a lot of conversations happening um, all throughout. There was so much going on. But I, I, I'm looking at just reflecting on why why is this happening, right? And we go back to biblical times. We know that in the Israelite time that the women, uh, the women were marginalized. If their husbands died, they were cast away. They were cast to the side and they had no importance. So there were, um, the Israelites put together ways to support the women, trying to promote God's equality for all of God's creation, And when Jesus came, he was pretty radical because he actually hung out with women. Like he actually let people, women, be with him and eat at his table and share meals with him. And then he met this woman at the well. And this particular woman at the well was not just any woman. She was a woman um, from Samaria, and she wasn't supposed to be out at noon going to the well by herself. That was unheard of. You don't do that. Women didn't do that. So there she is, broad daylight, at noon, getting water, fetching water for her family, and Jesus approaches her, and he gives her living water. That was radical. Jesus was supporting the women And Jesus actually hung out with Mary and Martha. Like he actually went to their homes and he let them, you know, he let them cook for him. He hung out with their brother Lazarus, but he also let Mary sit at his feet and he taught her. He gave Mary the best education that anyone could ever ask for. Mary got to learn at the feet of the master. So Jesus was promoting equality for women. Jesus was doing this. Jesus was approaching and addressing the issues of the time. They were not popular, but he was going after those issues. And one of the statistics that I found while I was there was that every 10 seconds, a person on this planet dies of hunger and thirst every 10 seconds 
And I think we take for granted sometimes in this country, in first world countries, the gravity of that, the seriousness of that, because it's not part of our world. We don't see that. We don't have that here. I mean, we, we have poverty. We have marginalized people. We have social issues we're working on, and we're really good at actually letting those voices rise. But we don't see that kind of poverty where people are dying every 10 seconds. But it is real, and it is happening it happens every 10 seconds. And as I always say, when one person in the body suffers, we all suffer. Our work to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth is not over until we all are not suffering, until we all have the basics that, it, that we need to live a sustainable life. Like part of my work is to help people live into their divine purpose. I think that's really hard if you're hungry. I think it's really hard to focus on what's my divine purpose if I don't have food for my next meal and if I'm a mother and I have no way to feed my children and I have no clean water. So my heart really breaks for these people that the UNCSW is trying to make a better place for. Um, so it was really beautiful to be a part of that experience. My work there, my role, was to offer yoga mass um, for the women who were able to come to my session as a parallel event to the business meetings. And so what we were doing was offering a way for women to be empowered, the empowerment of women bodily, socially, and spiritually. And so what I did was I talked with them about integrating their body into their work and actually honoring and valuing the body that houses this beautiful spirit that God gives us and being able to go out into the world empowered to do the work God has given us to do in these bodies. And it was very much an incredible experience for me and the people that came to me and spoke with me afterwards. And there was a woman there from uh, Taiwan and she was a very a young woman in her 20s. And she came up to me after and she said, I'm a social worker in Taiwan. And I'm going to take back this message that my body, my soul in this body, I can actually use my body to go do my work. I can do it in a very respectful awe-inspiring way that the spirit is in me and to integrate the body movements and honoring the body not just the head not just the intellect and not just what we can accomplish but also to do that in an incarnational way an incarnational theology because for us we we know Jesus is the incarnation of God but we also are incarnational we have spirit, God's spirit in us in these bodies. And these bodies cannot be separated from the spirit within us. All integrated. And the, the scientists are now starting to discover that. We're all integrated. Our emotions, our, our mental state, our spiritual state is all reflected through the body. When we begin to see dis-ease, disease manifest in the body, it's, it's already, it's been in there a long time. It's a mental, a spiritual and emotional issue that is just now manifesting itself in the body. So it's, it's important, very important for me to bring the body into the conversation. And this, so this Taiwanese woman was very inspiring, but then there was this woman in the room, a beautiful African woman, 
and she had tears in her eyes and she raised her hand and she shared she said I am so inspired because what just happened was I now know that I can go out and I can be a feminine leader and I can use my intuition and I can use what I know in my soul my intuition my wisdom my nurturing capacity my capacity for tears and I can go out and lead from that space. And that's beautiful space to lead from. And to empower women to be able to live in that space and not be afraid to be who we are and who we were created to be was such a beautiful gift for me to witness that and to watch her. And we had a conversation about feminine leadership because one of the Anglican sessions was on um, feminism and faith. And it's very near and dear to my heart. But what I want to say about that is that feminism is extremely important because it's how the feminine voices are brought forward. But I believe that it has to be balanced, that we cannot just focus on, focus on the feminine aspect. We have to recognize that the masculine aspect is important it's just as important but they have to be balanced and that's where we're off right now as a society we've allowed the masculine voice to the strong voice the can-do voice this amazing voice that gets stuff done we need that and that voice is so powerful and it has been since biblical times But what we've lost is this nurturing ability where the intuitive side, the wisdom side, um, we're not allowing it to, to surface so much. So what we need to do is bring them in balance. So I appreciate feminist theology. I appreciate feminism. But what I am proposing is that we need to be integrated. We need to be balanced and made whole, masculine, and feminine. Because in each one of us, we have masculine and feminine qualities. We don't always think about that. We might think just what is our gender. But we have masculine and feminine qualities. Every man in this room has feminine qualities. And they're beautiful. And every woman in this room has masculine qualities. But guess what? The women are taught that we have to be more masculine to survive and to make things happen. And guess what? To get promoted that we have to actually be more masculine. What I'm suggesting is we bring them into balance. And so what I witnessed with this African woman in the session is she said, I feel like I can lead from my feminine place, from that space. And not always feminine, but balance. That's the key. That's what Jesus was. Jesus, the wisdom Jesus, was completely integrated. Masculine and feminine. The anima and the animus in Jungian terminology. He had both, and he was extremely balanced in them. And wherever he went, he could heal people because he was moving in that feminine spirit energy. But if he needed to walk through a crowd fearlessly, he was able to do that too. And that's the masculine side. So my overwhelming feeling at this meeting was that this meeting was about basic human rights. And it takes me back to our baptismal vow. We say that we're going to respect the dignity of every human being. 
We're all created in God's image, male and female. This meeting was about human rights, equality for all people. Not just girls, but boys too. Little boys need clean water and they need access to education. But because we've got to bring them in balance, this is, a, this is the movement to help bring those things into balance. And I was so honored to see how the spirit um, was moving through these meetings. One of the women that attended my session, she gave a, I thought was a very profound um, reflection and she said this is the first session I've been to where we're actually including spirit in the conversation and I think that's really important because we know we have to make plans and we have to be able to argue plans and promote our positions and that business side um, is very intellectual and in the head but to say we're going to include not only our mental capacity, but our emotions and our feelings and also the spirit. To bring the spirit into the conversation makes the conversation more complete. And it also brings God into the picture where we get to do God's work. And it was very beautiful to hear the spirit being part of these conversations. The Episcopal Church's statement on CSW is, words without actions are empty. Our actions, our faith is bolstered through our actions. We have to bring the Spirit in because the church being part of this conversation is so huge because this is the work of God. And we are God's people bringing heaven on earth for all people including the women and the children this is God's work and it is in God that we know all things are possible so I'm very proud to be part of the church a church that is in these conversations that is fostering equality and advancement of humankind because this is what this is. This is advancement of humanity where the Spirit of God is within us. And we recognize that the Spirit of God is in every human being. And until those issues are resolved and we all have the opportunity to live into our divine potential, our work is not over. So we give thanks to God and to Christ Jesus who fearlessly was able to walk through the crowd, but who, when he saw a need, he looked her in the eye and he healed her. Amen.